chapter eight. I'm kind of uh, just trying to navigate through how we're going to do this because I don't want to spend, you know, three months. He said this, he said this, he said this, he said this. We're kind of work this through. So I, that's why I'm taking a full chapter or two every time and just kind of highlighting it. But when the three friends of Job were first introduced, Eliphaz was uh, named first, Bill had the Shuhite second, and Zophar was the last, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. This evidently uh, was kind of their rank and their importance because Eliphaz spoke first, then Bill had, and Bill had's speech is shorter, not near as long as Eliphaz's speech was, but though it is shorter, it certainly was not nicer. It's more blunt, it's more severe than what Eliphaz said. Some of it was provoked uh, from Job's response to Eliphaz, and I want to start reading now chapter 8. Uh, we'll just read most of it. If I don't read all of it, we'll get it. <coughs> then answered Bilhad the Shuhite and said, How long wilt thou speak these things, and how long shalt the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? You're full of hot air, is essentially what he's saying there. Uh, doth God pervert judgment, or doth the Almighty pervert justice? If thy children have sinned against him, and he have cast them away for their transgression, if thou wouldest seek unto God betimes, and make thy supplication to the Almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee, and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. Uh, though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. For I, for inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to the search of their fathers. For we are but of yesterday, and know nothing, because our days upon earth are a shadow. Shall not they teach thee, and tell thee, and utter words out of uh, their heart? Can the rush grow up without mire? Can the flag grow without water? Whilst it is yet in his greenness, and not cut down, it withereth before any other herb. So are the paths of all that forget God, and the hypocrite's hope shall perish, whose hope shall be cut off, and whose trust shall be in the spider's web. He shall lean upon his house, but it shall not stand. He shall hold it fast, but it shall not endure. He is green before the sun, and his branch shooteth forth in his garden. His roots are wrapped about the heap, and seeth the place of stones. If he destroy him from his place, then it shall deny him, saying, I have not seen thee. Behold, this is the day of his way, and out of the earth shall others grow. Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will he help the evildoers. Till he fill thy mouth with laughing, and thy lips with rejoicing, they that hate thee shall be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked shall come to naught. Father, I pray, bless the reading of your word here, help us to grasp something from it, to be a help to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So Bildad opens his first speech, uh, starts out reproving Job, has some strong criticism of him, and, and I think like Elipha, as we mentioned, I, it, it kind of, you kind of get the undertone that Bildad enjoys this, coming at Job a little bit. You remember Job was greater than all of these three guys were, uh, greatest, the Bible says earlier, and so now they have a chance, somebody that was better off than they were, uh, better reputation than they had, more money than they had, more means and all that. Now they're able to plug at him just a little bit. Maybe there's a little bit of human animosity going on here. Uh, <clears throat> so he talks to Job about his comments, his creed, his children, and his character. I want to break that down real quickly. Verse 2, how, will, how long wilt thou speak these things? So he's talking about Job's comments. And how long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? So this is an attack on Job's response to Eliphaz, and he criticizes the duration of his comments. How long? How long, he said twice. Now, it's true that Job's response was long, but so was Eliphaz's first speech. Uh, he he uh, is a little hypocritical with Eliphaz here, uh, but Bilhad 
himself does not speak long. Now we saw that. He gave a much shorter speech. And, uh, so Job had, according to Bill, had exhausted the ears of his listeners. He went too long. But you can kind of probably get the idea that Bill Had is the kind of guy that would not like any any length of sermon if there's truth in it. Uh, it would have been too long. Some of those in our churches, uh, any kind of preaching is too much. And so he criticizes the description of Job's comments first. The words of thy mouth be like a strong wind. Uh, he doesn't have much tact here. He says the words are like a strong wind, blustery, babbling. Uh, one of the meanings of the original words that is translated to strong wind is a vain and empty thing. Turn me down just a little bit, Caleb. I'm getting a ring back here. So we can see right as, as soon as he starts to talk, okay, this isn't going to be good. You, you wonder maybe Job's listening there. He's talked back to Eliphaz. He's tried to clear his name there a little bit. And then now Bill had, maybe Bill had will have something positive to say. Maybe I can get some comfort here. No, uh, he got that. That was shot to smithereens as soon as Bill had opened his mouth. How long will you be like a strong wind? <clears throat> the more he talks, the more obvious he, he gets in his disdain. And uh, this is a great person to avoid in our life, and it's a great thing to avoid in us being that type of person to somebody else. This critical spirit, this assuming, we're going to get to this even more, but assuming things. And we can look at somebody going through something. We can assume all kinds of things. This is what Bill Head's doing, and it gets worse. But really what he starts out with saying, Job, i got to say, you're really full of hot air. And that's how he starts to speak, and it just goes down for him. What a great group of friends these guys are, you know? Uh, so glad they showed up. Uh, thank you for your great encouragement. I think we've probably all been there before. You know, you hope you can get together and get some encouragement. It just turns. Then he talks about his creed. Doth God pervert judgment, or doth the Almighty pervert justice? Job had not accused God of injustice or perverting judgment. However, some of his words and complaints that he gave kind of opened the door for this attack by Bildad. And this is what, this is what I want to make this point. We'd better be very careful when we're going through trouble or trial or hurt. We'd better be careful of the words we say because the words we say can be taken further by other people. And so it's why it's very... I've said it before, Dr. Chapel is where I got this from, but uh, you, the best sermon you'll ever preach is you in the valley. As you go through difficult times and other people watch you go through those difficult times, it's the best sermon you'll ever preach and the loudest. But the reverse is also true. People remember uh, negative things during that time. So uh, this, this is a good statement, though. God does not pervert justice. People do. Our courts certainly does. But God does not. But this, by the way, is where we get bitterness in our heart. On Sunday, we're going to be talking about forgiveness, bitterness, all kinds of, really, I don't miss out Sunday. I'm really excited about one of the really neat things that the Lord's given. But uh, this is where we get bitterness in our heart. If we have, because human beings have a strong justice system. Uh, you don't have to go further than kindergarten or the nursery to see that. It is built in our very DNA. Little kids, you take one kid, take the toy of another kid, and that kid's justice system has been violated. And he'll let you know or let that other kid know by bopping him on the head. I mean, it's early on. We have a strong, strong justice system. <clears throat> Point number two, our justice system will be violated. It will be. You don't live long without your justice system being violated. People are going to do things uh, that are going to violate right. They're going to misuse you. They're going to be rude to you. They're going to... It's just going to happen. Your justice system will be violated. If it is unresolved, it'll turn to bit. And so this is 
this is a, a statement is a good one. God doesn't pervert justice. And it better, it's good for us to remember that. Because people do. Companies do. Nations do. Governments do. And so when our justice system gets violated, if we allow us ourselves to internalize that and let it eat us up from the inside like that root of bitterness the Bible talks about, we'll mention Sunday, uh, that's where bitterness comes. Now, Abraham in Genesis 18.25 asked the question, Shall not the judge of the earth uh, do right? Indeed, he will do right all the time. Justice and judgment in this verse represent two aspects of God dealing with humankind. Rawlinson said it this way, Just, Judgment is the act, justice is the principle which inspires the act. Let me give you a few more. Judgment speaks about the effecting of the punishment. Justice speaks about the extent of the punishment. Judgment speaks about the fact of the punishment, where justice speaks of the fairness of the punishment. Judgment speaks of the penalty in the punishment. Justice speaks about the principle in guiding the punishment. So what I'm saying is justice should guide our judgment. We can be very judgmental and have no justice in that judgment. And we're going to see Bildad does that exact thing. There's no justice there, but there's a lot of judgmentalism there. Our courts today, I would say, are deficient in both judgment and ju uh, justice. That's why criminals who destroy property in BLM marches are given a free pass, while law-abiding citizens who defend their own life are uh, given a trial. This is judgment. There's a lot of judgment. There's no justice. So this is a good statement that God is not deficient in either one of those. Let's move on. Verse 4. He talks about Job's children. If thy children have sinned against them, or him, and he have cast them away for their transgression. Now, notice that the word if there kind of begs the rest of that sentence, but there, there's a Barnes writes anyway, and I, I got this in several different, I went to the original, and it's kind of fuzzy, but uh, that several people write that the Hebrew word would be or could be translated not if, but since. So the idea here is since, if we say it that way. Since thy children have sinned against him, and he hath cast them away for their transgression. The idea here is that since they have been cut off, they surely must have sinned. Can we remind you again, the whole basis and premise of these three men coming to Job is that God does not punish righteous people. They say it over and over. He's going to say it here again tonight. If you are righteous, God wouldn't punish you. You're, so because God punished you, you obviously messed up, Job and they're trying to figure out how he did in their presuppositions. It's really, it almost would be funny if it wouldn't be so sad, if we wouldn't sometimes go through this our own self. So he plainly indicts Job's children. He says that they were killed because of their sin. Now, I ask you, can you get lower than that? Honestly, going to go after his children. He, he's lost all his children, and now for him to come along, they've obviously sinned against God, and so they got what they had. How would you feel? If you had to go to the great the, the funerals of your children, not only all of them like Job, but even one of them, and somebody came by soon, a friend, and said, yeah, I think they probably had it coming. What encouragement. Terrible. It's a cruel slap at Job by a man who's supposed to be comforting him. Now, he made an assumption. This is, again, what I want to drive home tonight. He made a strong statement, a hurtful, cruel statement based on an assumption. And i got to say, this happens all the time in our Christian lives, churches, where somebody makes a major big deal or sometimes a life-changing decision because of an assumption. Or they'll attack somebody on an assumption. Uh, and, and this is, it's Satan getting his 
fingers and claws and talons in people's relationships and destroying churches and families. That's how he'll do it. How many times do we do this same thing to each other? We make assumptions that indict the other party that may not be true. And then we act on our assumptions, not on the truth of the matter, not on the facts, but on our assumptions. It's a terrible thing. I've seen it. I've stood on the sidelines and I've been involved in it. Most of, most of us have if we've been around uh, long at all. And uh, if people would cool down, become spirit-filled instead of flesh-filled, and have a conversation, often they would find out that these are a lot of misunderstandings and assumptions going back and forth, and that's much of it. Let's not get caught up in that. All right, number D, he talks about Job's character. Bildad speaks to Job about his character, assuming he's wicked, or he wouldn't have experienced such troubles. Look at verse number five. He speaks here of the piety of righteousness. If thou wouldest seek unto God betimes, or early, okay, that's what that word means, so if you'd seek God early and make thy supplication to the Almighty, Bildad, so spiritual. I mean, he's, he's got the answer. He's telling Job that righteous people need to seek God and do so early and pray to the Almighty. Now, that's a subtle slap at Job again, because basically in saying that, you're making the insinuation that Job is not doing so. Now, we learned the first few chapters, Job absolutely did so, not only before all the tragedy, but even after his troubles began. He still worshiped God. Then Bildad speaks about the protection for the righteous. Verse number six. If thou wert pure and upright, surely now would he awake for thee and, he, and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. The Hebrew word translated here prosperous involves protection. Bildad again insults Job here. He says if Job were upright, then God would awake for thee or keep you from all the troubles that you're going through. But since Job is still suffering... He assumes in the statement that Job is wicked. Again, assumptions assumptions are harmful. They are so harmful. Taking a miscommunication, taking what somebody has said and assuming the worst. Assumptions are killers of relationship. Bildad speaks of the prospects of the righteous here. If thou wert pure and upright, verse number 6. And then in verse 7, Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. Now, Bildad's going to eat his words because this exactly is what's going to happen to Job at the end, according to Job 42.10. He, of course, did not foresee this, and he thought Job was wicked and that God was punishing him. But again, can we just remember, we don't know what God is doing in the lives of others. We really don't. We don't. All we see maybe is a bad mood, which comes on the end of a hard day. You know, we have, I always try to understand (coughs) when I'm dealing with people and and sometimes you don't get the type of reaction you want, or they seem cold, or they seem aloof or something. And, uh, you know, if we would not just assume the worst and maybe give a little space and realize maybe they're having a really difficult time with something, you know, we don't usually come in wearing a T-shirt with our problems so people all know what's going on. In fact, most of us stuff them in the backpack, tell anybody we suffer alone, and we don't let everybody know what's going on. We come to church and we try our best, and let's just give people some space, amen? Let's give people some room and not make assumptions with what's going on. So I, I think that what this is, what Bildad's doing here is just wicked. It's just wicked to make all these assumptions and just beat up on a child of God who has done, he wasn't sinless, but Job hasn't done anything to deserve this. This was an attack from Satan. Remember, he suffered because of his righteousness, not because of his wickedness. And here he's got a friend who brings along his trusty Louisville slugger baseball bat and has beaten Job while he's done. a terrible Let's go on. The second point here, exalting of the antiquity. The uh, Bildad, like Eliphaz, has to support his arguments. Now, Eliphaz used a vision. 
Bildad's going to use, we could say the Bible, the, 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 let's just equate it to the Bible. Not the Bible, but equate it to that because what he's going to do is talk about the ancient ancestors, the former age, the fathers. These were men that <coughs> lived much longer times on the earth than they did at Job's time, if Job, in fact, was the time of the patriarchs. I still tend to believe Job was before that. I don't know. I argue anybody, but I believe possible existed before the flood. It talks about dinosaurs twice. In, but uh, whenever Job lived, but there were men that lived a lot longer. And so these men would have more wisdom than those who live shorter lives. That's why he said that we've only, um, as he say here, I'm trying to, the verses, uh, for we are but of yesterday and know nothing because our days on earth are a shadow. So we don't live as long as they lived. I mean, Methuselah, 965 years, and others lived a long time. So we're not as old as they are. These men would have more wisdom. So he believes these ancients in their observations and their sayings would support his argument against Job. Prepare thyself to search of their fathers. So Bildad's uh, diligence in study is commendable, but telling Job this is a subtle slap at Job's character again. He believes that uh, his troubles are a result of his evil. Look at verse 9. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing because our days upon earth are a shadow. And so he's talking about our, our we know nothing compared to them. This uh, know nothing is a term of comparison. Terms of emotion in the Bible are often terms of comparison. Uh, the instructing of antiquity, verse 10, shall not they teach thee and tell thee and utter words out of their heart. The words of the ancients, their teachings would help Job if he would pay attention to them. Now, here's the rub. Bildad implies that their arguments that his arguments are based on the wisdom of the ancients. This makes, of course, his speech irrefutable. Backs it up with the Bible. Uh, I will let them, he said, utter words out of their heart. So in other words, he's saying, it's not me saying it, it's someone with much more authority than I have, and he's using that against Job, like Eliphaz, his vision against Job. And of course, now he can use these words that uh, they have so much respect for as a hammer on the head of Job. Can I tell you that there are people that will use this book as a weapon, turn verses into what they want it to say, turn verses even to attack you, and we need to be careful with that because that can be a very discouraging thing. This is essentially, again, I'm not equating these ancients with the word of God, but yet that's kind of what they had versus what we have, and he's using this again, terrible thing. And then he accuses them of hypocrisy. He gives three examples here in this chapter, water plants, spider webs, and weeds. I want to look at those each and, and see what they can tell us. Verse 11 through 13. Can the rush grow up without mire? Can the flag grow without water? While it is yet in his greenness and not cut down, it withereth before any other herb. So are the paths of all that forget God. Two plants are mentioned here. The rush, this is the papyrus, and the flag is a marsh plant. Both are associated with the Nile River and Egypt. Mire, water here, refer to the plants that are growing from a pool or a pond that was left by the Nile that's now essentially, after flooding, that's now essentially a big sop of mud, just a, a big mess. But then what happens in a few days, the water is all dried away, and uh, this would wither away then. The problem is, in verse 12, while it is yet in its greenness and not cut down, it withereth before any other herb. So these two water plants would need moisture, or they will die quickly. The application here in this proverb is that many people uh, need good and prosperous times to sustain their good character. Verse 13, so are the paths of all that forget God. So this is an obvious reference to Job. 
he is refer he's compared to this Russian flag that when water was there uh, for Job, it was when prosperity was there, when everything was good, you were man of God, you served God. But then when it dried up and when things were bad for you, forsook God. Well, did Job forsake God? No. He did not. Again, assumptions. I kind of pound that word home tonight because we can leave uh, <coughs> with that plea in our heart. Let's not make assumptions. And so, but here's Job. And uh, he, he's attacking him, telling him basically that you, you forgot God in your troubles, but we know that's not true. And then he talks about the web, verse 13. The hypocrite's hope shall perish, whose hope shall be cut off, and whose trust shall be like a spider's web. He shall lean upon his house. <coughs> that's the house of the spider. So what happens when you lean against a spider web? It gets you all, you know, whatever, but it doesn't stand up. All right, it goes down. That's what it says. But it shall not stand. He shall hold it fast, but it shall not endure. The meaning of the word translated hypocrite here involves profane, filthy, filthy, impious godlessness. Job is treated here like a hypocrite. By the way, when he mentions the hypocrite, it's clear who he's talking about. He calls Job a fair-weather Christian. The illustration of Job being, a, being hopeless as a hypocrite is from the old proverb about the spider's web. Job's hope is treated here as as if he was leaning on a spider web for support. And that is not any support. Therefore, he has no hope. All right, Hypocrites and the profane have no hope, is what this is saying. Their godliness is all outward. They are profane inside. And so their piety or their pretend spirituality will not help them in time of trouble. Bildad concludes that Job is forsaken by God and therefore has to be a profane person who is now being judged. What's he doing? Making assumptions, making assumptions, and then talking to Job based on his own assumption. This, by the way, is a good representation of a hypocrite, by the way. He's absolutely right. Again, as we mentioned last couple of weeks ago, these are good messages, truths they're bringing. They're just misapplying them to Job. This does not apply to him because Job was not a hypocrite. He used one other example, the weed, verse 16. He is green before the sun, and his branch shooteth forth in his garden. The earliness of the weed's growth before the sun, the energy of the weed's growth, branch that shooteth forth in his garden. This shows the swiftness, if you will, and the prosperity of the weed. But this is also uh, to picture Job and the prosperity he has, which no one can deny Job's prosperity. He was a very well-off person. He was one of the greatest men uh, in his time. But the problem, he said in verse 17, his roots are wrapped about the heap and seeth the place of stones. So the roots, they think, they're making this application, are not in a good place. So when the sun comes up, the heat of the day hits it, it wilts away. The implication is, that's you, Job, that's you. His spirituality was not grounded. It was in shallow soil. When everything was going good, you were just fine. Sun hit. God turns the heat on a little bit, and now you're turning your back against God, which, of course, again, isn't true, but this is how they're approaching. Uh, what a, a great tragedy. Type of, out of the earth, verse 19, shall others grow. Others will grow in the place of the weed. Job will re be replaced as the man of reputation and fame. No one will know him anymore. Men will forget him. Basically, you are finished, Job, what he's saying. Others are going to grow up, and you're, you're done for. Great, uh, great encouragement, isn't it? From this guy. Look at verse number 20. See the equity of God. This is a summary of Bildad's speech against Job. What Bildad says about God here is true. Like Eliphaz, it's true. 
but he makes the wrong application. Verse 20, Behold, God will not cast away a perfect, neither will he help the evildoers. And this is true. God will show deference to the righteous man. And he is not in the business of helping the evil man. <coughs> However, does it not rain on the righteous and the wicked? Does not, did not David several times in the Psalms, he looked at the, and he, he was envious of the wicked because they seemed to prosper. And don't we live in a world today where the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer many times? We, we, we cannot, for a, the Bible, we read that verse last week, many are the afflictions of the righteous. We can't, with a straight face, say, yes, all righteous people are smooth sailing all the time for them. Wicked people suffer. That's not the case at all. We live in a sin-cursed world in which many good people, righteous people, people who love God, suffer, and many wicked people who hate God uh, they seem to to flourish for a time anyway. So this is uh, this is mistaken thinking. They're coming. Look at verse 21. Till he fill thy mouth with laughing and thy lips with rejoicing. So build that implies that Job's sorrow. Now listen to this. Listen to this. This assumption. Your sorrow indicates wickedness because you're sad. Must be wicked. Or there must be a result of the. How many times do we deal with people who are sad? I do all the time. For whatever reason, something bad's happening in their life, or they're having a tough time with their marriage, or they're having a tough time with their children, or, or you know, having a hard time at work, and, and there's sadness and there's sorrow. And what if we, every time somebody was sad, we'd say, yeah, you must be wicked. That's what he's saying. It's a terrible way to deal with people that are hurting. Because if you were righteous, then you would be rejoicing. That's what he's saying here, verse 22. By the way, affliction does not negate righteousness. Because someone suffers does not mean they're not righteous. Many of the afflictions of the righteous. Verse 22. They that hate thee shall be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked shall come to naught. Now, <coughs> this is also true, but you kind of have to add the word eventually on the back. It isn't always true right away. Uh, sometimes it takes much time. The ultimate victors are the righteous. Wickedness is a loser. Wickedness often attacks the righteous, but ultimately it will be clothed with shame. Evil doesn't always lose, and righteousness doesn't always win. Was Herod or John the Baptist beheaded? John the Baptist. I mean, he was righteous. He lost his head. Uh, and, and today, though, what happens today? We History will clothe Herod as a wicked man. Even secular history talks about Herod being a wicked, wicked man. John the Baptist, on the other hand, is highly esteemed, both heaven and earth. So, uh, Bildad is misinterpreting this. It is a true statement eventually. This ha does happen. God will make things right, as we talked about Sunday. Praise the, the Lord for that day Christ returns and makes these things right. But there are times we have to suffer. The wicked seem to flourish. So let's just remember that as we look at this. The great afflictions that came on Job were not because of his unrighteousness. And so can we just determine in our heart, not to make assumptions, you know, people that come to our church, Maybe they're going through things that we don't have any clue of. Let's have some kindness and some compassion. Learn to encourage. There's a time to preach. There's a time to encourage. This was not the time to pontificate. It was the time to put their arms around Job and just love him. You know, as I read more and study more into this, <coughs> you know, what's the worst thing that happened to Job? You have, he lost all his wealth, his children. That would have to rank right up there. He uh, lost everything he'd ever worked for. He lost his respectability. But I wonder if really the hardest trial of Job wasn't the friends. It's kicking, it's kicking and goes on and on. I mean, what a way to extend your suffering. I just want to encourage us never to need encouragement like Barnabas, not like Bildad. Two B words for you. Let's pray. Father.